0: We have three bullet points left in the Apostles' Creed between now and the end of March, and we're going to talk today about the forgiveness of sins. Let's read the Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting are coming up in the next two weeks. Today we're dealing with the forgiveness of sins. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. Amen? Now there are lots of places in the Bible where you can go to read about and talk about the forgiveness of sins, not only in the New Testament, but also in the Old, not only in the letters, but also in the Gospels. In fact, the Gospels are full of references to the forgiveness of sins. It's everywhere, Jesus talks about it, they have arguments about it, there are questions posed about the forgiveness of sins. And there are a number of places that we could go in the Gospels, but today I wanna take us to a beautiful story that happens in a Pharisee's house It's Luke chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip on over there. We're going to read from the screen. I'm sorry, but one of the bulbs went out. So, you folks who are over here, I understand if you want to move over there, if you can't see the screen. Can you all see the screen over there? Oh, it came on? Just as I was speaking, then? See, we timed that perfectly. Thank you, Matt. So we thought we'd popped a bulb, but that's not what happened, huh? Ah, okay. I'm glad to have it back. Okay. Luke chapter 7 now. This is a beautiful story. I want you to get the full impact of it. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, "'If this man were a prophet, "'he would know who is touching him "'and what kind of woman she is, "'that she is a sinner.' "'Jesus answered him, "'Simon, I have something to tell you. "'Tell me, teacher.' He said, Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven you have judged correctly jesus said then he turned toward the woman and said to simon do you see this woman I came into your house you did not give me any water for my feet But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace." Is that not a beautiful account? An encounter between a sinful woman and Jesus. Sinful woman. Sin is not just a mental mistake or miscalculation. It is a Bible word, it is a theological word, and when you use the word sin, you are talking about moral and spiritual failure. And you are pointing to the reality that human beings, unlike butterflies and armadillas, have a will, and they can say no to what they know they ought to do. And they do. Everybody on the planet, every human being, lives with this sense of what they ought to do. I ought to love my mother. I ought to take care of my children. I ought to be courageous when my friends are in trouble. Everybody has this sense that they ought to behave in a certain way, and it is universal. All over the planet, people experience this. And universally, we experience the failure of doing what we ought to do. All humans experience this too. We ought to do it, but we do not. Or we ought not to do it, and we do. And every human being knows what it is to sin, to miss the mark to cross the boundary, to twist what is good. Every human being knows about sin. So the forgiveness of sin is very important. Now, Jesus said that all the laws and the prophets are summarized in two simple commands. Love God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. These two capture everything that is given to us in the law. Love God and love your neighbor. So it may be said in every instance that when we sin in part, the sin is caused by a lack of love for our God or for our neighbor that at the heart of sin there is a lack of love, that love summarizes all the obligations you have before God, and therefore every infraction, every sin is in some way a lack of love. Jesus, in a surprising term, connects forgiveness to love with this little parable he tells about the two men who are indebted and neither can pay his debt. One owes 500 and the other 50. And Simon's answer back is, the one who loves most is the one who had the greatest debt forgiven. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. The greater debt forgiven produces the greater love. Great love is connected to great forgiveness. I feel then at a disadvantage in some ways as I think about my youth as a boy coming to Christ. When I came to Christ as a boy when I was seven or eight years old, I was not running from the law. I did not have a drug habit. I was not about to go to jail. I had not committed, as far as I know, any scandalous sin. At seven or eight, I knew that I was a sinner because sometimes I beat up my brothers and sometimes they deserved it. But I felt guilty about it felt guilty about not doing what I ought to do with my family or with my friends. And I knew that I was a sinner because I had done some things that I knew I shouldn't have done, and I did them anyway. But when I met Carla Faye Tucker, who was in prison for killing two people with a pickaxe, the thought occurred to me, this is a great testimony. This is a wonderful story. She came to the jailhouse in Houston with that cold, dead blue in her eyes. The district attorney said his blood ran cold when he saw her. And in the jail in Houston, Texas, she met a chaplain, Southern Baptist, by the way, named Rebecca, who led her to Christ. And when she went to the big house, I was conducting a Bible study every week on death row and for four years I taught her the scriptures I baptized her in that prison and I thought sometimes this is a great testimony Crosby you don't have a great testimony like this And I wonder, perhaps, if I was at a disadvantage of keeping the great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. If great love comes from great forgiveness, maybe I'd been cheated, maybe I started behind because I got saved as a boy, and maybe you think that too. Maybe that's going on inside of you, and you're wondering, if because you don't have this spectacular testimony, because maybe you weren't into scandalous sin before you met Jesus, that somehow you don't have the opportunity to love him like this sinful woman in the passage. I went to God about that problem, wondering if I had the capacity to love like other people do. And God spoke to my heart this way. He said to me, David, when I saved you as a boy, I had in mind not only the sins you had already committed but I gave you a place at my table in my family and in my house knowing all the things you would fail to do, all the wrong turns you would make and every sin you would commit over a lifetime of living. When I began to think about my sin, not only up to age seven, but every year thereafter, indeed every month thereafter, and every week thereafter, and actually every day, every day, for almost 62 years I've been living on the planet, breathing this air, failing to be who God called me to be, always messing up and making mistakes. And when I thought about it, that way I realized that in my case, God had forgiven a mountain of offense that I had created against him. And I could say, as Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. There's nobody in the world that need rescue more than me. There's nobody in the world that was more hopelessly lost than me. I was as helpless to save myself as any other person on the planet. My sin debt was so great, there was no hope at all that I could rescue myself or that I could live the kind of life that would balance out this mountain of sin. The only way I would ever sit at God's table and be in His house and be His child was if He would, in His grace and mercy, forgive it all. And that's what he did. When I was a boy and came to him, knowing all the mistakes that I would make, all the sins that I would commit, he saved me. So Jesus calculates the actual sin debt we have see Jesus helps us understand in two different directions the kind of sin we've committed the first is he helps us see ourselves in the light of his holiness and realize how awful sin really is that the root of sin pride Greed and sloth are in my heart, that my undisciplined life and my unholiness goes all the way to the core. And he helps me understand that it was necessary for his son to die for me, yea, me alone, to be rescued from my sin debt. And God helps me see the other, maybe somebody I call sinful. In a new light, see, Jesus' first question for Simon is, do you see this woman? Simon had already dismissed her in his mind. He already knew so much about people. He had her in the pigeonhole. He put her in the category, in the little box. He knew who she was. She was a sinful woman. If he was a prophet, he'd know too. He never saw the woman. Like many of us, never see the people we're supposed to love. The neighbor that comes our way, who is our assignment. But we're so busy putting people in boxes. We don't let them be even who they really are. We dismiss them, as Simon did this woman. God forgives sin. It's a wonderful, beautiful truth to hold in your heart and to know God forgives sin sin if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness I have people ask me well if I can't remember all the sins I confess do I still walk away from the point of confession fully clean and the answer to that is yes God knows you can't even understand all the ways yet that you are unlike him There are sins that you can't locate yet in your life, it's true. But if you confess the ones you know and you come and you're honest and clean with God, He cleanses you not only of what you confess but of all unrighteousness, all right? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what that means is He sends our sin away This is a place to enjoy the God who loves you. You remember the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement when they put their hands on the head of that scapegoat and they confessed over that scapegoat all the sins of the people, and then the children drove that scapegoat out of the camp and into the wilderness so far that it could never come back. It was a picture of what God does with your sin. God forgives you, and He sends away your sin. He takes away your sin, the Scripture says. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That's what God did for you. You were legally indebted because of your sin. And God took your indebtedness, the debt that you owed. He nailed it to the cross of Christ, taking it out of the way. God sends your sin away. He takes your sin away. Micah says he will bury our sins in the depths of the sea. He's going to hurl them there. All of these pictures, God has communicated to you how he takes your sin, he removes it, he buries it in the depths of the sea. David said David was a great sinner. When people commit scandalous sin and they're seeking forgiveness, sometimes they think about David and Bathsheba and Uriah. And when David turned from his sin in Psalm 103, he said in that Psalm, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Is that not beautiful? Is that not wonderful? Is this not a gracious and merciful God we serve who forgives our sin and moves it as far as the east is from the west? It was costly for him to do this, It's not like God just snapped his fingers and took care of your sin. It was costly to remove your sin as far as the east is from the west, to hurl it in the sea, to remember it no more against you. He sent his his son who died on the cross for you. He paid that price. As we have sung, he gave his all. He laid down his life, This is what forgiveness cost the Savior. God forgives us, and then he calls on us to forgive others. We must forgive others. It's incumbent on us to forgive others. Jesus taught us in the model prayer, forgive us our debts as we Forgive our debtors or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us we confess in the creed we believe in the forgiveness of sin maybe by that we were thinking that God forgives our sin and that's a wonderful truth (coughs) but there's more in the forgiveness of sin than God forgiving my sin it is me forgiving the infractions of others against me Jesus, in fact, links my forgiveness of others and God's forgiveness of me a number of times in his teaching. He reinforces it at the end of the prayer by saying, For if you refuse to forgive those who trespass against you, your heavenly Father is going to refuse to forgive you. To confess, we believe in the forgiveness of sins not only means we believe God forgives sin, but it means I believe also that I must forgive sins against me. Now, we are prone to hold grudges. We are prone to grow bitter. Sometimes we hang on to the offenses and we don't want to let them go. And the challenge of Scripture is, if you will understand and comprehend how great the love of God is for you in forgiving your sin, then you will be empowered to forgive the sins of others. For no matter what the other has done against you, The ways in which you have insulted and violated the love of the holy God surpass all the betrayals you have ever experienced or ever heard about. See, your sin debt, that mountain of debt that you could not overcome, that you could never balance out, you could not take care of on your own, God forgave it all. And these infractions now that you hold in your heart against others, they must go. Perhaps you are saying to yourself as you think about forgiving someone who has deeply offended you, we're not just talking about stinky feet or bad breath, all right? We're talking about people who have wounded us deeply. Sometimes we think about people who have wounded us deeply and we think they deserve to do penance every day for how they betrayed and hurt me. I don't want to let loose of this thing in my life. I want them to wake up every morning knowing that I am bitter and angry toward them and they have offended and hurt me and we don't want to let it go and the word forgive is used to describe a boat untethered from a branch by a river, released into the current, going down the stream and turning and disappearing around the bend. God sends our sin away. He takes our sin away. He nails it to the cross. And we humans, we untie the sin from our spirit, the offense that others have brought against us and we give that boat a little push, we get it out in the river, and we let it go. When love is perfected in you, you will keep no account of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. The prophet said, he remembers it no more against us. What we must do in our journey of forgiveness is let it go. Now, you've got to do that... <laughs> Sometimes over and over again, because just like Jesus said to the woman who had been forgiven, Your sins are forgiven, reinforcing again the forgiveness in her life. Sometimes you have to say that to others who have offended you as well. Your sins are forgiven. Today I'm forgiving you. Today and tomorrow I'm forgiving you. I'm gonna make forgiving you a test every day in my life. I'm gonna do it. I know I have to do it. So I'm letting it go as best I know how. It's a journey, all right? Maybe it doesn't happen immediately, but you can't hang on to the bitterness. You can't refuse to forgive because if you refuse to forgive, you're saying, I refuse to receive the forgiveness of God. You don't want to be there, do you? You don't want to be refusing the forgiveness of God with this hardness of heart you have against somebody who offended you. I hope it's not that you're thinking, well, I don't need to be forgiven. I mean, there are some people who feel like that. I don't know if Simon was that way or not, Simon the Pharisee. I think if you'd asked him, he probably would have told you that he was a good person. He might even have used the word very. He could have said to you, I'm a very good person. I work at keeping the law every day. I do it, I keep it in mind. I write it on my forehead. I tithe everything that I possess. I try to just be very diligent about doing everything that's right and good. And maybe Simon felt that he was just a pretty good fellow, not really that in need of God's forgiveness. And I guess there are some people who feel that way, who feel that all in all, They're very good people. And balancing out their life, the good outweighs the bad. And so when they get to heaven, they'll just put that good record before God. See, if you think that you have performed well enough to pull up and sit at the table of the holy God in heaven, you are delusional. You need to get a life and be honest about who you are. He is holy. No sin enters heaven. You don't want to show up at heaven arguing that you lived a good life, that you were a good dad and that's why you ought to get in. That's what the Bible calls self-righteousness. And Simon the Pharisee was probably suffering from a little self-righteousness and self-righteous people not only have a hard time extending mercy to others because they feel they've been so good, they have a hard time receiving mercy themselves. See, there's nothing that'll drop the curtain down between you and God so solidly as self-righteousness. Some people think Their performance has been so miserable in this life that God could never forgive them. They just can't believe God can forgive them. I've had murderers ask me, can God forgive me? You know what I tell them? Of course God can forgive you! There's not anything you can go out these doors and go do that God can't forgive if you're willing to come to Him and confess your sin and repent? There's not some action you can perform that forever keeps you from heaven and God. If you are thinking you've been too miserable, you wandered too far away, you've been gone too long, you've been too bad, that's just the enemy's way of keeping you from the riches of grace that are available in Christ Jesus for you. And you're gonna have an eye-opener, my friend, when you let God forgive you. When you finally just confess and say, Lord, here I am, I can't do anything about this stuff, I'm tired of fighting it and being beat down all the time, and God, I'm just giving it to you and I want forgiveness. I want you to wipe me clean. You're gonna have such a time in here when you know that God has forgiven you. It's going to be different for you. With resisting God's forgiveness is not only a threat to grace and mercy in your life, it threatens love in your life. Love is connected to forgiveness for all humans. And the manifold love of God abounds in the heart that knows how to receive forgiveness and how to give it. Not impressed by our good deeds or our great conduct, we come to the God who holds a mountain of debt against us. And we say, Lord, I want mercy. I want grace. I believe Jesus died for me and he paid my sin debt. I want you in my life. That's how God deals with your sin. He forgives it through the work of Christ upon the cross. Enjoying his forgiveness, opening up to the mercy and grace of God will unleash in you mercy and grace and love as well. For the refusal to forgive stops up the flow of God's grace and love in your life. Some of you, you struggle most with forgiving yourself. For some of you, that's the biggest challenge. See, we confess, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. But sometimes we refuse to forgive ourselves. We believe we ought to wake up every day doing penance for the way that we wandered off and the things that we did. We never get free of it. We believe we got to drag that sack of guilt the rest of our lives. We need to live under this cloud, we tell ourselves. And the enemy tells us too because he doesn't want us free of the guilt and shame of that sin. He doesn't want us leaving it behind. He knows the kind of bold and confidence we're going to have walking in this world if we can forgive ourselves. So he wants you with that black sack of guilt on your head the rest of your life. Jesus died on the cross to deliver you from that, brother. He died on the cross to deliver you, sister. And you are refusing the work that he did at Calvary when you refuse to forgive yourself and enjoy the benefits of his grace. There's a liberation he wants to bring in you about the sins that you've committed and never really released to him. And he can use you more profoundly and let his love flow more wonderfully in your life if you will let it send it away, let him take it, hold it no more. Somebody needs to, for the first time, say, Christ, I believe you died on the cross for me and I want your forgiveness in my life. Somebody needs to say, God, as you are my helper, I will forgive the one who offended me so deeply, so that you may continue your work of grace and love in my life. Somebody needs to say, Father, I have lived under this cloud long enough. I know you've forgiven me, and I'm letting it go. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we come to you realizing that you are holy and we are not we pray by your spirit that you will open our eyes to see the grace and mercy you have for us to receive the forgiveness you extend to us through Christ our Lord and to extend forgiveness to others So God, do your work in us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.